I don't know if you um, watched the game yesterday. Sounds like some of you did. There's a part of me that um, toward the end, you know, when, when it's such a lopsided score and there's only like five minutes left or 12 minutes left, there is still, there's still a part of me that thinks, we could do this. Is that in you? Is there anybody else? And, and I don't know where that comes from, but I think we are a generation of people that look at impossible circumstances, and there's this little something inside us that thinks, we could do this. We could do this. You ever watch the, uh, the, the Mission Impossible movies? I am so old, I remember the television show. You know, and I was just a little kid, and they would come on and had this tape recorder, and it would say, this is your mission. And they would outline this task that was just absolutely impossible. And you think, well, they're not going to do it. This is going to be the end of the show because this week, there's no way they can be able to do that. When I was a little kid, the other show that I watched that was on was Batman. And it was the old bat, the cheesy Batman, you know, the cool thing. And, And they would leave you hanging at this you know, crucial moment, he's upside down over a pit of boiling lava, (laughs) and the Joker would run out of the room. And why they always do that to heroes, they never just say, just shoot him. You know, they they never do that. They always leave them and like, oh, but we got to go. We're not going to be able to stay around and see how this turns out, but we're pretty sure you can't get out of this. They always get out of impossible situations. There's something about our heart that leans into that that wants to believe, even when something is apparently impossible, that it might could still happen. I was in college before I ever read The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. Anybody read that? I know you've probably seen the movies. You read the books. And I remember, you know, reading a couple of chapters and going to class and doing that, and I should be studying now. But I got to find out what's going to happen to Frodo. I mean, this is so impossible. How is he going to get there and burn up this ring and go to Mordor and all of that? It's just it's, you know, impossible. But there's a part of us that wants to believe that. You know, today uh, we're going to look at another part of this story of Esther. And her mission seemed impossible. But God is always faithful to somehow let his plans and his purposes and what's in his heart emerge so that they never fail, that they never fail. And for those of you who've been like regular attenders and you maybe you've come for this series, you, you already know that this is the most unusual book because the name of God isn't mentioned anywhere. And in this event, we're going to look at today where the king's mercy, you know, is for Esther. And it changed, everything changes direction in this, in this, what's going to happen as a direct result, not so much of the mood, you know, the whim, the impulse of the king, but the fact that God is behind the scenes. And it's really his favor and his purposes that put into motion uh, all these events long before Esther approaches uh, Ahaz uh, Shuris in chapter 5 of this story. 
uh, and really you can probably kind of already tell where I'm headed with this, is because I know that some of you are going to face things, and you're going to feel things in your life that you feel like, you know, this is impossible. Have you ever said this? I can't do this. Ever been trying to work out a math problem or fix a car or get ready for an interview? You know, all these things that come about in life, and you think, I can't do this. I can't do this. And that moment where you, you want to freeze or you want to go back into something that is comfortable, whether it's a behavior, whether it's an addiction, whether it's something, something, and you feel like, I don't think I can do this. And God wants to do something impossible and something different uh, in our lives. So there's a couple of lessons today that I hope we walk away with. It's that even when you feel like a situation is in, impossible, it's mission impossible, whether it's an addiction, a breakup, a divorce, an illness, a family crisis, a wounded relationship, a problem at your job, whatever it is you're looking at and you think this is impossible, don't count out the fact that God wants to do something different and it may even take a miracle and I don't know where you are with that I don't know if you still believe if you ever did believe the fact that after you have figured up all your resources and you looked at all the possibilities and you've kind of you know gone through everything and think okay what could happen what might happen and this and and you 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 just landed at this place where you think this can't happen, God may do something so out of bounds, so over the top, that you'll be amazed, and he's going to weave that into your story. In chapter 3, verse 2 and 5, there's this interesting thing that's going on, uh, and this is really a key part of, of this event that, that, that's happening here. In verse 2, it says, And all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage. He wouldn't do it. And looking down at verse um, 5, it says, And when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage to him, Haman was filled with, my version says, fury and it's a it's a hebrew word it's like we've got to say that this guy's really 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 mad and we don't have a word for it so we uh, it is over the top it is this is this guy is just you ever been there you ever been so mad you're just out of control that's where he is he's furious at this that this is happening and look down at verse nine um same kind of thing is happening. I'm not sure if I'm in the. I'm going to say this right, but it says it uses the word wrath. It says that he is. He's just so full of wrath that this is happening. And then in, in chapter five, verse thirteen, uh, you get to this place where Haman is actually going to build a gallows to execute, to put to death this criminal Mordecai. I mean, it's the ultimate solution. And here's Mordecai. He's not unaware of all these things. He sees these things as this, as this continues to unfold. Now, we have the advantage. Every time you read a story or maybe you see a movie you've seen before, you kind of know how it's going to end. Nobody in this story knows where this is going. Mordecai can't see, okay, but here's what's going to happen, and it's going to be okay. You don't know. You don't know. Even if you've seen it happen before, there's still that anxiety, right? 
I went skydiving a couple of years ago, and I remember going up two miles. And, and I'm standing, and I'm looking out, and this guy says, well, we're going to count to three, which he didn't. That's, if you ever do this, they're going to lie to you. They're going to go one, two, and then you're going to go. But the, what, what are your other options? But there's that thought. You think, I just saw people do this. I, I stood on the ground. I watched them and think, oh, that's what we're doing? Okay, I think I can do that. But when you're up there and you're looking down and you can't see, I mean, everything's so tiny. It's just like these little tiny things. And you're going to jump out of here. And there's this part of your heart that thinks, wait a minute, is this a good idea? I know it's possible and a lot of people do this, but what if? And some of us live in those places, of, but what if? What if this time the house burns down? What if this time this happens and this? You know, I want us to move past that day because God wants to do something beautiful. Even though I know that when Haman built those gallows to execute Mordecai, Mordecai started thinking, well, you know, God's always delivered me, but what if this is it? And this story is filled with those what ifs. And here's the, the great, great thing about God. Sometimes the thing that you fear the most, that thing, and I hope that maybe even before we leave today, you'll begin to identify what that is. Could be several things. And here's the way that works. Sometimes there's a surface issue. Well, I'm really scared of this. You think, well, why am I scared of that? Well, because this. And you just keep pulling those back and you get down. You know, to, to, this happened to me this week, and, and you know, I was talking to one of the tech guys this morning, and I said, well, you know, on the surface, it's like, well, I'm scared of this. You think, well, what is it behind that? And it gets all the way down to, well, I'm afraid of being embarrassed or humiliated. Oh, so that's what the, the root fear is. I have a little dog. Her name's Briscoe. She's 12 years old. She only weighs 25 pounds. She's a border collie. And the nicest pet we've ever had. And I mean, she's never growled. She doesn't, she's never even, biting would be just so outside of her. I mean, she just doesn't do that. And uh, my wife, Kathy, teaches piano lessons in our home. And we have like a million students every week. One million students come through our house. And Briscoe, and they all play the same song. It's either, you know, it's... <laughs> It's either from La La Land or, or it's, you know, James Bond. or it's, I mean, it's one of those songs. So she stays right there. She loves these kids coming in all day and adults, all kinds of people. Never growl. She's just the sweetest thing. Well, I walk her every morning. And when I do that, I take her down. Our, our house is real close to A.O. Lotz Elementary School. So when I walk her out, there's the bus stop. And that's where people out of our neighborhood and other neighborhoods, they drop their kids off there and they walk across the street. Now, here's the thing. So I go down there every day, just about, and I know the crossing guards' names, and they know me. The kids don't know me. None of the students at the elementary school know my name. They all know my dog's name. They're all like, I, I come walking up, and they're all like, good morning, Briscoe. Hey, oh, here comes Briscoe. And they're all rubbing. I'm thinking, yeah, I'm the guy on the other end of the leash holding Briscoe, you know, the dog. I, and they, they have no clue that I'm even there. I'm just like you know, something there to facilitate this. Well, a few days ago, I'm walking with Briscoe back, and everybody's greeted her, and they've all said hi, and we're on this side of the street now, and we're walking, you know, almost back to my house. Now, see, on the other side of the street, there's a little girl, and she's walking with her dad, and you can tell, you know, that they're headed to school. They're one of the last ones uh, going that way. Well, this little girl 
sees my dog, who, remember, is about this big and not paying any attention to anybody. She's ready to go home and eat breakfast. So we're, we're walking along, but this little girl sees her, and she just freezes. And I, I can see that look because I have felt what she's feeling. You ever been surprised by a dog or a bear or a lion in some of your adventures? She sees this lion of a dog, you know, who's not paying attention, but she sees her and she literally just stops. And the dad says, come on, let's go. We got to go to school. She's froze. And she begins to move like this because she's so terrified. And she's walking in the street. We don't have sidewalks in our, in our neighborhood. She walks in the street. She gets up on the curb and she begins to walk on the curb. Then she gets back in the grass. And the dad looks at me and I smile at him like, is everything okay? He goes, yeah, it's okay. But she doesn't take her eyes off the dog until we're way past, until we're like 10, 15, 20 feet by. And she's still doing this and really scared. Do you know that feeling? The crazy thing is, I'm the only person there that knows positively 100% there's nothing to be afraid of. I mean, if my dog went into some kind of a rage, could she bite you? Yeah, I guess. It's kind of comical to even think about that because she never has in over a decade. I guess it could happen, but I know it's not going to happen. But I don't know how to communicate that to this little girl who's so scared because all she can see is my dog. And that represents to her something dangerous, something terrifying, something with the potential to, to hurt her. I think some of us are at this place right now where all you can see is the dog. All you can see is something that has the potential and the power to defeat you, to bite you, I used to have an older friend, and, and when I would be afraid of something or act, he would say, there ain't no big dog on the porch coming down after you. There is no big dog coming down for you. But I would see that, and I'd think that. Okay, so are you there? You, you understand. The good news about this story is that thing that you fear that seems so powerful and so destructive, you're tempted to give in to it. To walk up on the curb, to get up in the grass, you know, to get as far away from it, to ignore it, to just to kind of remove yourself from it, to run and to hide. What if, in some alternate way or universe, that little girl had just said, you know what, I'm so tired of living my life deathly afraid of dogs. Maybe she got bit when she was a little girl. That's happened to some of us, right? Because it's a learned behavior. Fear is this thing we, we learn. Or your addiction is something you're scared because it's something you've learned. But what if today you said, you know what? I'm not going to be afraid of that dog anymore. I'm going to go over to it. I'm going to pet it. <laughs> I'm just going to, I'm going to rub that. I'm, I'm going to get close. And she would have seen, oh, this is it. This is what I was bowing down to. This is what I was so afraid of. In chapter 7, I want you to see how things turn around here. In verse 5, uh, let me find this real quickly here. 
Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther, Who is he and where is he? Who has dared to do this? And Esther said, A foe and an enemy, this wicked Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. This young Jewish girl, Esther, whose life was hanging by a thread. Hers, Mordecai's, and all of the people. In verse 7, it says, The king arose in his wrath from the wine drinking and went into the palace garden. But Haman, the terrifying, all-powerful, fearsome Darth Vader, I mean, this Haman stayed to beg for his life from Queen Esther, for he saw that harm was determined against him by the king. Now, you remember the plan that Haman had for Mordecai, the ultimate solution? Look at verse 10 of chapter 7. And the king said, hang him on that. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. He kneels at the queen's feet, this woman whom he would have killed. That was his plan. If you will refuse to kneel before that thing that you fear, one day it will kneel before you. Your addiction that you think you're never going to be able to beat. And so you just give into it. Well, what's the use? Your enemy, whatever it is, will bow before you one day. It only takes this one thing. It's going to sound real simplistic. All it takes is courage. Right? How much courage do you have? Would your friends or your families or your coworkers or people in your classes, would they call you a courageous person? If I asked, you know, if I were to go at one of your friends and say, hey, is your husband really courageous? Would you chuckle and go, no, no, not, that's really not his he's not a brave guy he's not but or would they say yeah they they have displayed that several times proverbs 28 1 says this the wicked man flees though no one pursues but the righteous are as bold as a lion the wicked for, flee even though nothing's chasing them Remember a couple of weeks ago when I mentioned the fact that, you know, all the things that we worry about and gave you the stats on that, and it ends up like 90% of the things that you worry and think about and fear never happen. And the other 10% is trimmed down because of that five of that last 10%, you know, is, is workable. And you think, oh, wait, I've got solutions. So only 5% of the things that you even ever think about or worry about ever actually happen. So you spend your life 
in 95% safety, but fearful and afraid because we flee. That's what, the wicked, that's what the enemy wants us to do is to flee, even though nobody's chasing you. But the righteous are as bold as a lion. So courage has its birth. It comes from your righteousness. You see, when you're in a right place, when there's... When you've been justified, and we're going to talk about this in just a moment, but that's where courage is born and arises from. And if you're trying to figure it out and get it from your flesh, and you're trying to kind of build something up, and, it, and, and you just continue to collapse. You think, well, I tried to get over this, and I couldn't. Well, I tried to deal with that, and I couldn't. I'm still just so scared, and I'm still... Maybe you're going to the wrong place to get that. This is what Proverbs says, is that righteousness is where courage comes from, and that's what's going to make you as bold as a lion. The dictionary defines courage like this. The ability to face and deal with a dangerous or difficult situation. There are two parts. First to face it and then to deal with it. I just Googled, deep researched Google, um, just to see what some people had said about courage and some of the definitions. For instance, here's, here's one. Um, Courage is fear that has said its prayers. And I'm going to put that on a shirt. Maybe put it in the locker room at the University of Tennessee. Courage is fear that has said its prayer. General George Patton in the Second World War defined it this way. Courage is fear that holds on for one more minute. Franklin P. Jones said it like this. Courage is the ability not to let people know how scared you are on the inside. Captain A. Riddenbacher put it like this. Courage is doing what you're afraid to do. Because where there is no fear, there's no courage. Think about that definition. The ability to face and to deal with a dangerous or difficult situation. Let me ask you again, how much courage do you have? Would your friends call you a courageous person? I was looking over this week and I found this article that's kind of crazy. It's a really interesting thing. Uh, I think it was NPR where this first came out. There is a woman that suffers from a disorder that keeps her from feeling fear. Think about this. She never is afraid. Antonio Damasio is a University of Southern California neuroscientist, and he's treating this woman. She has the inability to feel fear. To feel fear. She suffers from Urbach-White's disease. She is part of this very small group of only 400 people on the entire planet who have this. It affects this tiny little part of the brain where we feel fear and where that you know triggers all these other things. That doesn't work. That's burned out. It's not there in her brain. I just, I, this is fascinating to me. I know you may think, yeah, okay, we kind of get it. But I want you to think about that for a moment. Never, you've never, yeah, yeah, that doesn't scare me. Yeah, are you afraid? Nope, no. And they've done these tests on these people, particularly with her. And they've taken her to horror houses, and they've shown her really scary things. And they, 
expose her unexpectedly to spiders and to snakes and to anything you can think of. You know, like what is the, what are the top things people are afraid of? And said her her reactions are always just really. She's never afraid. She steps out in front of a bus and just looks at it like, yeah, I'm really not scared right now. Can you imagine that? Nothing scares her, ever. She has never felt the emotion of fear. I'm just trying to wrap my head around that. What would you do if you completely trusted God and couldn't feel feel fear? What would you do next? What would you do next if you were completely courageous, completely trusted God, you couldn't feel the emotion of fear, and you were just free to follow him? What would you do? Well, most of us, that's not the case. We're still scared of stuff. We feel anxiety. We feel fear and worry about all sorts of things. But here's a lesson from Queen Esther. The more you give in to the fear, the more afraid you become. This is the way it works. It just sucks you in. The more, the, the more afraid you are, and the more you, well, what if this, and, you know, and then, and then this, and, you, and you, you kind of feel that coming up inside you, and you just get more and more afraid, so that by the time the test comes, by the time the moment is there, you are just freaking out because you have, you've leaned into this so much. Now here's the, here's, that's like bad news, here's good news. The more you give yourself to courage, the same thing happens in an opposite direction. The braver and bolder that you get. Now as we've gone through this story with Esther, you've, you've seen that she's a little hesitant, uh, she's reluctant. Some of her behaviors are even more than questionable. And we think, what motivates that except that her fear is in play? Like in chapter 4, uh, verse 11, uh, where they're asking her to come and, you know, will, will you help us out and you do this, it's time for you to do this. And she says, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death. He said, Mordecai, you don't understand except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I've not been called to go into the king for 30 days. I haven't seen him for a month. If I just go waltzing in there, you know what they're going to do? They're going to kill me. I don't think you understand the law. Let me, let me go back and re-explain this. Mordecai knew that. But she's hesitating. She's pulling back because she's scared. And she's saying, what you're asking me to do, they're going to kill me if I do that. Even when she makes up her mind, okay, I'm going to do it. In spite of her fear, she's going to jump out of the airplane. She's going to get in the ring. She's going to apply for that. She's all of those, you know, she's going to do it. She's still scared. But she thinks differently. Look in, in chapter 4, verse 15. And this is one of the, you know, like more famous parts of the story. It says, then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai. Go, 
gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf. Fast for me and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will go fast as you do. Then I will go before the king. Though it's against the law, see how she can't resist just saying it one more time? Just, you know, just, you just got to get that, Lord, okay, I'll do it. But even though, that's what she's doing. She says, even though it's against the law, and then she makes this dramatic claim. She, she looks out the window and says, and if I perish, I perish. The way that's written, you know what? She, you know, I've always loved that verse because it just sounded so, and if they kill me, then they kill me. It's a little bit like that, but it's also, fine, I'll do it, but you know what? They're probably going to kill me. I hope you're happy. Oh, let's just get Esther killed. Let's see if that works. Okay. I mean, that's kind of where she is with this. But I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it, but I think they're going to kill me. Here's the, here's the one. As she shows courage, she gets bolder. And isn't there something about once you've taken a step in that direction or once you've risked everything and that, that begins to come over you and you begin to feel and not just think but to feel, okay, what's the worst that can happen? Well, I've already gone this far. Okay, you know what? Here goes. When I was a kid, I got it in my mind. I wanted to do something. You know, I, I started boxing in middle school. It was junior high school back then. Um, but I, so I, the sheriff's department sponsored boxing, and so every Saturday we would go, and you know we had a coach, and they trained us kids, and took us off the streets, and it was really a good program. Uh, so every week I'd fight. Now I was this really small, skinny kid, and I can remember sitting there and looking over at my opponent, and they would you know match you by weight and all of this. But I would look at the, and there was this one kid, and he was just, he just loved to hurt people. It wasn't a sport to him. It was like a release. I think his parents probably put him in the, I don't know, it was therapy, and it was like, go beat up some kids, and you come home, and you're going to feel so much better. Well, he would sit there, and he would look at you, and he would sneer, he would mock, he would spit. I mean, he would just, and I'm sitting there, and I'm just, just and I thought, I'm just, and you're just scared, you know, and I just, and my stomach, and I remember that emotion and that feeling. But there's also all your friends sitting there, and they're watching, and the other guys in your team, and you're thinking, what's better, to be beat up by that kid or to be humiliated forever and never can step back in? You just, you, that's worse than death, right? So if I perish, I perish. If he's going to kill me, he's going to kill me. And you step in and you're remembering everything and he hits you once. And then he hits you twice. Now, here's the crazy thing. Instead of you starting to get more and more afraid, as you take those punches, you start thinking, wait a minute. I'm still alive. And that hurt. But now it's making me kind of mad. Instead of being so afraid, there's another emotion that's beginning to fill in. And you realize, oh. I've gotten hit a few times, and that's the worst that's going to happen. This kind of hurts, but you know what? There's something else that triggers. Some of you have been in situations maybe sort of kind of like that, totally different scenarios, but you understand what I'm talking about. Esther gets bolder, and she gets more courageous as she goes forward. In chapter 7, uh, verse 3, she says, Then Queen Esther answered, If I found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king... Let my life 
be granted for me, for my wish, and my people. And she's like, well, I've gone this far. Don't kill me, don't kill me, don't kill me. And you know what? Don't kill anybody else either. I mean, she just, where, it's like, where did that come from? And she says, for we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. <laughs> she's just, she's getting on a roll now, girl. I mean, she's starting to go. And she says, you know, if we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have been silent. I could have handled, you know what, okay, I would do that. But our affliction is not to be compared with the loss to the king. She said, they're going to kill. And now, the thing after this is that she says, you know, would, would you do this? Would you save me? Yes. Would you save my people? Yes. Well, who did all this? Haman. Hey, you know what? Will you just hang Haman? Will you just go ahead and just execute him because that's what he was going to do? Who is this woman? I mean, you think, you know, sometimes you get away with just a little bit and you're off the hook and you think, Okay, I'm just going to get out of it. I'm just going to get out of the room. Oh my goodness, they didn't give me a ticket. Uh, you know, you're going to drive away. You're going to, you know, you're just going to take that little thing. Not Esther. So you know what? I need you to save me. I need you to save my people. I need you to hang Haman. And then she throws this in. Toward the end of the story, she goes, Haman has ten sons. Let's hang them too. <laughs> Would you hang them? And he goes, Yeah. You want to write the letter? Yeah, I'll write the letter. Can I write the letter? She goes, can I just be the one to do this? I mean, who is this? Remember the scared little girl who's putting on all her makeup and she's trying to be so beautiful and she's doing whatever she can do to save her own skin? Now she is saving a whole nation of people and she's calling out for justice. Who's in control? The king is just saying, okay. Haman is kneeling at her feet. All these people, all these circumstances and things that she was so afraid of, now she is in control of. Everything she had bowed down to now is bowing down to her. Courage gives rise to more courage. She does all of that. Joshua 1.9 says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified and do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will go with you wherever you go. Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my, my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, Though orcs as far as you can see come out of the darkness after me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, just me. You ever felt like everybody's at war with you? Even then, I'll be confident. 2 Timothy 1.7 For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. 1 John 4, 18. Perfect love drives out fear. There are people who count things and those kind of people counted the number of times 
in the King James Version of the Bible that the little phrase, fear not, fear not, shows up in Scripture. This is so crazy. Guess what? It is written in the Bible 365 times. 365, fear not, 365 days of the year in your life. God is telling you, stop living so scared. Stop being so afraid of everything. How do you do that? Where do you begin? What makes this happen? Give some quick ideas, and then we'll go, and we're going to put it into practice, okay? First thing is this. If you're a follower of Jesus, remember your position. Remember that you're in Christ. And I've shared that so many times, you know, that when you, when you become a Christian, Jesus comes to live inside you. But something bigger and deeper takes place is that you are relocated. You are placed in Jesus. You're in Christ. 133 times the New Testament says your new place of residence is in Jesus. Now, why is it that when a bear's chasing you or a bad guy's chasing you, you run into something? You know, you run into a house or the cabin and you, you lock the door. You know, you, and you think, oh, we've got a safe room. And because you're getting inside something, you're, getting, you're moving yourself to a safe place. Listen, you're in Jesus, your new position, you're in him. So whatever's going to get to you has got to go through him first. You're in a safe place, you're in Jesus. So remember that when you're afraid. Remember that in Christ you are strong and victorious. You're accepted and justified, redeemed, saved, and completely forgiven and safe. Remember that. And then remember that your strategy is going to be to confront your fears. You're going to continue to be gripped with fear and intimidation until you can decide to confront it. I've gotten two calls in, in, the, in the last week of people who are addicted to two different things. And they said, as long as I felt like that was over me and I'm under it and all I can do is manage it, all I can do is deal with it. All I can do is try to keep it pushed down. And just, it, uh, it, it's just going to continue to come after you. But what if you said, this is what I'm afraid of and this is what I'm going to do. And you confronted it. Fear will win every day. Until you stand up and you look that fear right in the face and say, you are not going to win over me anymore. With the help of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit, I am going to defeat you. You'll never win and you'll never rise up until you confront the thing that's dragging you down. Now, when you've done that, when you've understood your position and you remember that, you think, oh, wait a minute, I'm in Jesus. Now, I'm going to confront this fear. Then evaluate the voices that you hear. What's going to follow? What's going to happen after that? Some of you, most of you probably don't remember the movie Cool Hand Luke, but the, the warden of this prison said, Luke, you got to get your mind right. <laughs> well, when it comes to dealing with fear, you got to get your mind right. A healthy mind is just essential. As, you know, the Bible says, as a man thinks, as a woman thinks in her heart, so is she. 
And there's a negative side to this, and there's a, there's a positive. The negative side is that you're going to get pulled down by negative people in your life, by people who are not thinking like Jesus, and they're going to drag you down. And you're probably over that. You're probably done with people telling you this can't be done, you can't do this, it's not going to work. used to be a motto for Baptist churches. It won't work. We've done it before. We tried it once before. And people are going to speak that into your life. You check this out. Face your fear and begin to move in that direction. And you just watch how that happens. And you think, how in the world do, do the people come out of the woodwork who tell me, well, that's not going to Even your own thoughts, even your own experiences and your histories and your memories are going to come back and you're going to go, well, this is not going to work. So you've got to censor that. You, you've got to evaluate that. And look at that input, especially during a time of crisis, and go, wait a minute. I am just giving more and more in to these negative voices and these whispers and all of that. Here's what God says about it. Those scriptures I just read to you a moment ago, that's the truth. That's the truth. And he's going to try to muddle that and cloud that and darken that so that you don't remember, so that you forget and you go in another direction. God's word, you know, this is not just something you read on Sunday. This is not just a devotional. This is literally the stuff that you live on. This is what's going to save your life. This is what's going to cancel out and eradicate the fear. So when you've done those things, you remember your position, and you've confronted your fear, and you begin to evaluate and think, wait a minute, that's not what God says. And I come from a family that's a little negative. I mean, I come from a family that was like, oh, I don't think so. When, when I decided, you know what, I think God wants me to go to college. Well, how are you going to afford that? You can't afford that. Well, you've been out of high school for two years, and you're going to be so far behind. I mean, that was the immediate, the voices that, that began to come back was, well, what are you going to do? And how are you going to get this? And, how, and, and I just began to feel this weight, this burden. And you stop and think, wait a minute, that's not what God's speaking. That's not what God's telling me. That seems so contradictory. Even though you're still afraid, and even though you still don't know the end of the story, and you don't know how it's going to work out, step forward, step into that fear. Lean into love. You have to live in such a way as if fear didn't even exist. 1 John 4.18, the scripture I read just a moment ago, says, Perfect love casts out fear. I think that's not just something for a coffee mug or a t-shirt or a plaque, you know, up in your bathroom. Perfect love really does cast out fear. So if you want to get fear, you know, removed, you want to begin to, to move that out of your life, the answer is, remember I said a minute ago, in the righteousness is where this courage comes from? Well, to remove fear, love. I know, right? Love. You can have the, either have the love of God in you or you can have this fear that's generated by Satan in you. But you can't have them both dominating your life at the same time. So choose love. Choose love. It'll push the fear out. Okay. Every time I read the book of Esther, I learn something new. And as I've read this this past week, I've just been so impressed with her, with her persistence and her boldness and this growing courage and even her authority. 
how she felt like she was, you know, the last person in line, and now she's the one making the decisions. It just reminded me that we are the bride of Christ. That we can ask for anything in his name. We are in spiritual warfare against the enemy. But he tells us, be courageous and be bold at all times. Don't be so full of fear and don't be so worried and don't be so scared. It reminds me that how we, because of Jesus, can go before the king without fear of death. Esther thought I could be killed immediately at any moment. What she didn't know is that she's going to move into a position in a place where she's under the king's grace. You're under the king's grace. When I look at her, the boldness of her, I mean, just, wow, she, she asked for everything. I mean, she just started going, just fearless. And you read the first of the story and you read this and you think, where did that come from? Who is this girl? Her persistence not only saved her own life, but an entire nation. And that same kind of persistence, that same boldness will save you. All right, let me give you some action points and let's figure out how we're going to apply this, okay? What are we going to do next? Today's Sunday. You got the rest of the day, then Monday. Then you got to hit the ground running and we're going to go forward. So how are we going to do this? Let me give you some ideas uh, of what to do next. First of all, name your fear. That may have already come up in your mind as I said that. You may think, well, I know what that is. That's pretty easy. I know it's this. Do you know what it is? If you can't quite figure it out and just keep digging down and digging down, but what is your fear? What is it you're afraid of? This interview tomorrow is scaring me to death. Uh, This situation, this confrontation, and I keep putting it off, and I'm procrastinating on this or this or or that, or uh, I'm looking at my checking account, or I'm waiting. The doctor said, I'll call you back on Monday. I'm so scared of that call, and what's he going to say? What's the news going to be? We're all waiting on something. We're all scared of something. You already know what it is. Oh, when he gets home, oh, name your fear. Just name it to the Lord. God, I'm so scared of this. Secondly, make a decision right now, this morning, while we're in this room together, you're going to confront it and not run away from it. What would your life be like if fear didn't exist? It's possible. There's an old uh, proverb that says it's better to spend one day as a lion than a hundred years as a sheep. (laughs) Aren't you tired of being a sheep? better to have one day of courageous faith with the Lord than a whole life just cowering in fear. And the last thing is this. Go out and let the and just know that the Lord's going to be with you. Tomorrow morning, you get up, do whatever it is you do. You know, take a run, Get a shower, breakfast, read your devotions, whatever it is. But on that day, on tomorrow, it's going to be a little different because you're going to lift your head up with hope and confidence in the Lord and whatever is thrown your way, you're going to be able to face that. Because you're going to take courage. You're going to be strong and courageous because you know 
that the Lord's with you. You know that. Maybe even say it out loud. Just confess it to the Lord. God, you're with me. There's power in those words. There's power in there. Say, Lord, I know you're with me, so I'm not going to be afraid. Even if you still feel afraid. And step out. And trust more than just that emotion, but the Lord. Would you stand? I just want to pray over you. Um, And let's allow God to begin to change us like he changed Esther. And he did something beautiful and strong in her life. And it affected hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, thousands of other people. Your life, your courage is going to affect other people. And so will your fear if you continue to let it dominate you. So would you bow and let's just pray. Father, when I look at the boldness and the courage of Esther, I'm just amazed at how she just started asking for things from the king. Lord, you are our king. We want to be fearless before you. And we want to ask you of things, even things that may seem impossible. And some of us feel that way today. We feel like this is mission impossible. This is, we can't get past this. Lord, you know that is not true. So I ask that under your grace, right now, we would be able to name our fear. That we would make specific, conscious, purposeful decisions to confront it and to not run away from it anymore. And Father, I pray that tomorrow morning when we get up and we step out into the day, that we would go out knowing that you will be with us. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would remind us of that all throughout our day. If we have to tape some of these scriptures up on our bathroom mirror or in the car or put it in our phone so that it's our home screen when we open it, what do we have to do? Holy Spirit, I pray you'd remind us all day that we're not facing this alone. And give us victory. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. God bless. Have a great afternoon.